0: Football on off the ball. With Sky, the Premier League is back. Watch every live game for the rest of the season on Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports. This is News Talk. All right, the desperately sad news broke this morning. The passing of Gianluca Viali, a Chelsea legend, as we probably know him at this side of uh, the water, passed away at the age of just 58, having lived with pancreatic cancer uh, since 2018. Uh, Martin Lipton uh, of The Sun, football writer with The Sun, covered London football, beat during the 90s and beyond, joins us now. Uh, Martin, thanks a million for taking the call, first of all. Yeah, uh,
1: thanks for having me. It's a sad day indeed.
0: Yeah, sad day, And you get to reflect on him as a person and a player as many have been doing over the course of the day, and I'm sure it'll continue over the next few days as well. But a force of nature and a, as a, of a as a player and a personality is the thing that's clearly emerging.
1: He was very much so. The thing about uh, Gianluca is that he came from a very different background to the vast majority of, uh, of footballers. I mean, you know, most of them are street footballers, many of them escaping from poverty. And of course, he came from an extremely wealthy background he you know he lived in this huge castle uh, which is about 700 years of history behind it um in cremona uh, so he was much more privileged than than most of the uh, of his teammates and yet that dreaded him a desire a de- desperation actually a yearning to prove that he was as committed and de- deserving of of playing as as any of those and he did that he was a real workaholic uh, on and, and off the pitch. And I think he, he took that into his management career uh, as well, and perhaps too much. So he took the pressure on himself to a, a huge degree, and you could see it having a, a physical effect on him. So when he took over at Chelsea, everything was light and um, and the, the smiles were there. And by the end of a, of a three-year term, which was actually pretty successful, you know, five trophies in all three major trophies, um, in terms of the League Cup, the FA Cup and the Cup Winners' Cup, you could see he was he was suffering under the that weight of, of pressure and expectation.
0: In terms of his his arrival into England, particularly early on, like he was one of that first the vanguard almost of European footballers, wasn't he? Who that the there were others who had come before. Maybe in some respects, felt almost like we might view an MLS uh, transfer now. That maybe they were coming towards the tail end of their careers. He'd won a Champions League, I think, with Juventus just before he arrived.
1: Yeah, there have been a couple before you would say were still in their prime. You could look at Bergkamp or Klinsman But the arrival of of Vialli at Chelsea was an absolute uh, game-changer in many ways. It was a symbol and sig- signal of, of Chelsea's determination to change uh, their status from probably the third club in London at the time to, to be number one. And this was, remember, predating the Abramovich era by seven years. It was mm. quite a long time before. Uh, and he came in uh, to play for Hullet. They had Leberth and Di Matteo uh, and then Zola joined as well and suddenly Chelsea were transformed into this team of all the talents Uh, and Vianney was was very much at the the vanguard of that it was a a real shock when he joined.
0: How much as you know in terms of the style of play Martin like his you know strong player good in the air obviously a goal scorer but much more than that as well how much was he the glue um, for that uh, Chelsea team And, and talk to us a little bit about his style of play at that time?
1: Well, to be fair, initially he really wasn't. He was signed as the starting striker and then uh, Zola uh, joined relatively soon in the next season and Vianney found himself on, on the bench for quite a lot of that of that period uh, because uh, Hulliet went with Hughes and Zola up front. He made a few cameo appearances. He scored goals. I mean, it was one uh, FA Cup tie against Liverpool when they won 4-2 from 2-0 uh, two from, from two down and then the following season I was uh, up in the, in the Arctic Circle in Tromso. Uh, where nobody it seemed could stay on their feet except uh, Gianluca Vialli, who slalomed through the Tromso defence for one goal and was absolutely brilliant. Uh, uh, but he 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 struggled to be as impactful a player as he wanted to be. And yet he had with him such a bearing, such a, a sense of poise and purpose uh, that he was perhaps uh, more of a talisman than he realised himself.
0: Yeah and he he obviously uh was Hullett that brought him in.
1: It was Hullett Hullett brought him in yeah because Hullett had taken over uh from Hoddle yeah. that summer. Hoddle went from Chelsea to England and Hullett stepped up as uh as manager. Uh, and they obviously had respect for each other as players and had played against each other in Italy. But their relationship I think it's fair to say became somewhat strained relatively quickly
0: hmm what was that what was that in relation to the to the very obvious thing that he, he wasn't getting a game martin in your view or was there a something else? That,
1: and also i think that uh they they've discovered they didn't have the same approach to life uh it's as simple as that i mean they were both they both have respect for each other as players um but perhaps there was a the personal element wasn't there uh, I mean, a lot of those chelsea players found or felt that Pullet was too aloof for them uh that he didn't speak to players who weren't uh, in the team and there's one fairly well-known player who uh, got into a lot of trouble because he told me this and I wrote it and I was a bit surprised when I wrote it um and this player you know he's still in he's in the media now he's well known he would he would tell you he just he didn't feel wanted at all and felt that he was alienated and this wasn't viali but it was indicative of of that particular uh, period under under Hull I think Hull changes the manager and and changes the person as well since but at the time it you know, sometimes players and personalities
0: don't mesh. Like it was around the time as well that the English game was changing as well, wasn't it? For the for the better, ultimately. I mean, there was the Arsene Wenger, uh, past two years or whatever way you want to look at it. The 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 attitude to uh, to nutrition and training and to being a professional footballer was very much changing around that time. What was his? So what did he bring to Chelsea in that regard, if anything? From your recollection. He a lot of fags. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> really? Smoke,
1: no doubt about that. Really? Um, I just I think he was much more of the the Italian model. I remember David Platt telling me that when he joined from Arsenal from from Juventus, he couldn't believe that he didn't have an individual plan at Arsenal, whereas everyone at Juventus had a. Even then, they were tagged into um, computers and given us a, a, a card telling them what their exercises were. Uh, and English football now, every player has got an individual program. They're all monitored up. This was the very beginning of that, uh, and Viali brought that uh, Italian mindset. He'd been, you know, under Lippi uh, at at Juventus. He'd been part of a of a very more um, professional, in every sense, setup, and he wanted to introduce that to English football at Chelsea. And like to smoke? He did indeed. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's one of those things that you know he grew up in, in that environment. He he never hid the fact. That he, that he smoked cigarettes in quite a lot of time. A lot of the Italian players do. I mean, you know, look at Ancelotti. He can't stop smoking. It seems to be a, a continental thing more than a, a, a British thing, or at least was, was. Players did smoke and still do, but I think fewer do now.
0: A gentleman goal scorer was, I saw him described one source earlier it was a very uh, moving tribute from Graeme Suness and Sky earlier as well um, who said he was a gorgeous soul and wanted to talk much more about him sort of off the pitch than, than um, his attributes as a, as a player necessarily what, what are your recollections of Martin at that time I mean I don't know was he you know in terms of press conferences or post-match interviews and stuff what was your uh, sense or view of him at that time I think what was what came across
1: straight away was his empathy and warmth as a human being. He always had that. He listened to people. He had this slightly laconic way of speaking. Uh, he was reluctant to make give up too many hostages to fortune. He thought thought through every word, but it also meant that he meant ev- every word. Mm. Uh, so if he was critical of somebody, it was because he meant it. He really had thought about it and felt this was the time. But he didn't like to do that. He wanted to be positive about other people he felt he had a nurturing role uh, and he also never forgot a face i remember once uh, after he left chelsea a few years i was at cardiff for a cup final so it would have been you know early 2000s and this bloke wearing a beanie hat came up to me and said why are you ignoring me and i just said it's you i didn't realize it was <laughs> you because <laughs> he was hidden away he wasn't show it wasn't you know look at me look at me he was just and that was it. He had that warmth about him that he wanted to chat to people he recognised and people he liked. And if he liked you, if he recognised you, he would come and, inst- and instigate conversations. Now there aren't that many football people who do that. You know, mm-hmm. they would—they're quite a bit to stay in their little little group and not go outside. It. And, and and Luca was a very different person. He was an empathetic, warm, a gentleman. Cause Graham Sinnes is right in that he was—he was, uh, he was a, a, a genuinely lovely man
0: and ended his playing days at uh, at Chelsea as well obviously you touched on the manager piece as well was it what are your recollections about at the end of his days as a Chelsea player martin i know obviously it was i mean i'll, I'll use the word complicated maybe maybe uh, there are other words complicated by the fact that he was obviously now starting to uh, progress a different path
1: yeah he was player manager and it became fairly clear to him i think quite early that you couldn't combine the two that he had to be one or the other and he wanted he, he could see the writing on the wall for his playing days. So he was 33, 34 by now. That he was going to become manager, and, and he did that. And as I said, successful indeed. You know, they won the League Cup, which was a bit of a bounce when they when he first came over. But the following year, they won the Cup Winners' Cup, and then in 2000, the last Wembley FA Cup final, they beat Aston Villa. Di mateo scoring the mm. scoring the goal uh in 2000. Uh, he won the Charity Shield at the start of the next season. I remember, oh, this is a chance of a, of a title charge, and then. Five games
0: later he was sacked. With, like were they were, was he hoist by his own petard in some uh regards in the sense that, that you know they'd obviously just won a trophy. He'd won loads of trophies. A run of Did you say they had not won any game in, in the five matches?
1: Yeah, it had a poor start to the season, which yeah. was a bit of a surprise because they spent some money. But no one saw the the sacking coming. He didn't see the sacking coming. As he as he admitted, he went he thought he was gonna be given a pay rise. He ended up getting a sack. But then that's Chelsea, and that was that was Ken Bates, and that was Colin Hutchison, and they made a decision that it was time to move on. It was a little bit of, and there always is, there's always been friction in a dressing room. There, nothing can ever be smooth, and people were maybe being a bit critical of him, and he bit back at that. That's just what happens in football, isn't it? We shouldn't be surprised by that. The reverence he that the Chelsea fans had, though, didn't go away. Mm. They always had a, a soft spot for him, and and rightly so. Yeah. and many of them look back with, with genuine fondness and they should do over yeah. what he brought to the club
0: he can easily feel hard done by I mean you can easily feel hard done by that's the sort of thing that I think a lot of managers uh, you know particularly in the early parts of your career and we see a lot of examples of it now where you know you've done quite well and then suddenly you as you would view it I think unfairly uh, get the sack uh, It, you know one thing that I was because ma- I'd totally forgotten about it like majorly surprised about looking back at his career this morning um, was just how it it and you touched on it earlier. He had this great success. He won five trophies at Chelsea. He's still the second most winning manager at Chelsea behind Jose. An incredible run over a very short period of time. Gets picked up for what by Watford for a year afterwards and never becomes full manager again.
1: No, that was the end of his managerial career. Uh, he decided that you know he, he he didn't need it anymore. I think I think the pressure did hurt him, and I think he felt they wounded by the end at Watford. You know, it ended up with quite a messy contractual dispute. So he, he went into TV punditry, into his various business interests as well. And of course, at the, the the end of his of his career, in the last few years, he'd been working with his great friend from back when they joined Sampdoria, when they were at Sampdoria together, so 40-year friendship with Roberto Mancini uh, at Italy. Mm. And when he, Italy beat uh, England to win the the Euros last last year on the Wembley site if not the same pitch where they shared the disappointment and frustration and angst of losing the uh, European Cup final to to Barcelona 30 years earlier they together shared that moment of of joy and glory uh, against England by by lifting the trophy
0: on penalties is it too far a stretch in your opinion now, Martin, just reading between the lines of a lot of stuff that you've said there about his caring for the players almost, his nurturing, I think was the word you used, uh, of the players at that time, that maybe he was a little bit ahead of the game, that, that the game wasn't ready necessarily as it is now. I think it's much more of a player-led uh, environment now, football. I,
1: I think that's a fair argument, actually, that he would have perhaps had a longer managerial career if he'd been 10 years younger. Um, in that, the, the, the there was still a yearning for many clubs and boards for a sort of dressing room dictator now they still exist in some places but far fewer uh, there's a couple of obvious examples that we've seen in, in you know and the Premier League at the moment and in recent years but there's a lot more of that empathetic uh, manager I And mean, you look at you know someone the current inhabitant at, at Chelsea we don't know how long that will last for obviously but you know Graham Potter, uh, you can see him as being in the viali mould as a manager. Mm. Eddie Howe's done the same sort of thing uh, uh, at Newcastle. There's a lot more of that uh, understanding of the modern player rather than trying to browbeat players, as was the case and was accepted as as the norm for for, for many many years.
0: What was the nature of his? Th- there was a falling out with Zola and Deschamps and a couple of other senior players, if I'm right. Was that yeah, a a, so, I
1: mean, I said they, they, you always get that, don't you? Unfortunately, yeah. that you know, great players clash, great personalities clash. I I, I think those kisses made up time subsequently. Just didn't that there was a sense of I think within the squad that there was a degree of drift and inertia, and they didn't think there was uh, things going forward. And and deputations were made to the board, uh, and in came Claudio Ranieri.
0: Yeah, well, as you say, he made an incredible mark on not just Chelsea, but I think on English football, and uh, not to mention his time um, in Italy, which we which we will discuss in a little bit. But Martin, uh, appreciate the time today. Thanks a so for taking the call.
1: No worries. Thanks a lot.
0: OTB Sports Rugby. Some of the hype around Jack Crowley has been premature. He's played pretty well, but having him as the second coming of Christ seems to be a little bit aggressive. Subscribe to the Rugby Stream on the OTB Sports app now football on off the ball with sky get more of the sports you love on sports extra with bt sport and premier sports this is news talk Welcome back to Off The Ball It's Adrian Matthew Until 10 And uh, if you're with us Before the break You know we've been discussing The sad passing of Gianluca Vialli This morning If you're just coming out Of your office this evening The news is that he passed away Earlier at the age of just 58 Having lived with pancreatic cancer Since 2018 We were getting the English angle a little bit Earlier on I wanted to get the view From Italy as well So delighted to say A regular contributor On all things Italy Paddy Agnew joins us On the line now Evening Paddy
2: Hi good evening Adrian
0: Sad news obviously this morning How has it been uh, Reacted to so far In his home country
2: well, it's, it's it's huge news, Adrian, because the uh, particularly after Italy's triumph la- uh, last year or two years ago, is now in the European Championships in England, uh, you know, uh, is something of a national hero. And he's a national hero because not only was he a fantastic footballer and a fantastic football manager, But above all, because uh, he made uh, a very public thing of his fight against pancreatic cancer. And, uh, you know, a a lot of people who wouldn't necessarily have paid an awful lot of attention to him or to football uh, became aware of him because he, you know, he was playing a prominent role uh, in Italy's uh, terrific European Championship win uh, in the formation of that side and the preparation outside. And he was doing all of that while suffering from uh, pancreatic cancer, and talking about it as well. He was he did a lot of talking about uh, cancer and work for cancer research. So, you know, he's, he's a bit of a national hero.
0: Can you talk us take us back to the start a little bit, Paddy, if you will? But his his upbringing and his entry into the game a pretty untypical path, I might say, uh, into football.
2: Yeah, he wasn't. He didn't start off. You know, obviously uh, at the top of the game, but he. Uh, Worked his way up, and his first big club was Cremona, wasn't it? And, mm. and he moved then on from Cremona to uh, Sampdoria. Uh, and he, he's uh, obviously if much remembered because of the contribution he made to that Sampdoria side. And because that's the last time, 1991, that a small team, a, a so called provincial team, uh, won the Italian title. If you look at it since then, uh, basically only three clubs have won it you know, Inter Milan, AC Milan, and Juventus. Uh, and once or twice uh, in um, Roman and Lazio, but uh, he's very he's very well uh, remembered for that. Uh, and then, of course, he moved on from there, uh, as, as as you know, to Juventus, won a lot of things with Juventus, went to England, became an English gentleman, and won a lot with Chelsea.
0: Mm. I think people certainly of, of my generation, Paddy, maybe less so the younger uh, cohort, but will be have been very familiar with him in his in his days, obviously at uh, Sampdoria, particularly and into Juventus. Um, and reading today about the former Sampdoria owner Paolo Mantovani, uh, how he had he had recognised that that even at that early stage that bond between himself and Mancini. Uh, Roberto Mancini was something special obviously we we got to know about it much much more you've already alluded to it in recent years but that bond between the two even as players uh, was becoming very obvious and was key in a lot of respects to that Serie success for Sampdoria
2: Yeah it was at the heart of it but yeah I would say also it was the heart of Italy's win in England last uh, two years ago I mean you know the the Image of uh, Viale that has been most uh, used in the Italian media and online not, uh, today uh, is not of uh, Viale, the player with Juventus, Chelsea, or Sampdoria, but of Viale uh, embracing Mancini after they uh, won the penalty shirt against England at Wembley uh, in, in the uh, Euro 20 final, and uh, the. the what was strange about that for Italians was that they'd, they'd been used to the the terrible twins as they were called uh, Viale and Mancini as players uh, and people were utterly delighted the same terrible twins were able to bring their talents together uh, to produce a European Championship
0: winning team mm. uh, Talk to us a little bit if you will as about uh, Viali as a player and like he, on the face of it certainly at a national level wasn't the you know prolific goal scorer of a Baggio or one of these but um what role he played for Italy, what role he played for Juventus, how that developed over his career?
2: Well, I think uh, Vialli would be called, uh, you know, uh, uh, very much a modern player in the sense that he, he, uh, the the characteristic about him that mattered most was he was a very determined guy. Uh, And I mean, I remember uh, talking to him on the eve of, Uh, Italy's 1990 semi-final against uh, Argentina and and Naples, a game that Italy lost and kept out of the final, but I remember uh, Viali, who had been kept out of that team at the time by by a guy called Schilacci who the Mm. Irish will remember well, and um, he was uh, a bit pissed off, and he said it's time now for guys with balls to be playing, uh, and I should be in the team, basically. Mm. Uh, because he was he was he was that type of player, very very strong physically, uh, good in the air, but a huge work rate. Um, he started off as a, uh, with Cremona as a winger, but he he soon became as sort of a central target man,
0: but a lot more than that. Mm. Would you have had many dealings with him, Paddy, over the years?
2: Yeah, I um well I've won uh, uh, n- not particularly. Um, uh, exciting dealing with them, but it struck me as the way he behaved. I went to, uh, up to Juventus. So in those days, I was uh, uh, doing TV interviews for uh, ESPN and people and we had uh, requested to do an interview with the alley, and we went up to Turin uh, and the team was training those days at the old Stadio Comunale, and um, uh, The alley came out after after training and after he got changed he came out and said sorry, I'm not going to do the interview and I said, geez, we've come all this way to do an interview with you. Can you not do can you not change, you know, do anything about it? And he said, uh I said and he said, No, it's not that the club won't let me do it, it's that I don't want to do it. I've done too much talking. Uh, thanks very much, nice to meet you. <laughs> and, uh, uh, I, but the only thing, the thing I remember about that was that, you know, that that happens all the time to guys like me when you're taking a TV crew around to clubs uh, or losing those, those days. I don't think you do it so much now. But um, it can happen easily. But normally the player slips out the back door, goes to the car park, and gets into his car and drives off. Uh, and Viali came out of his way to apologise.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mark of the Man certainly when you listen to the I don't know what's been said about him in, in Italian media today Patty, and you might give us a sense of that but certainly here uh, particularly in an interview with Graeme Suness and Sky but earlier on he was very emotional uh, while talking about him and, and certainly a, a gorgeous spirit I think was um, how he described him what's been the standout reactions what's been the general reaction there on Italian media
2: I think it's something like Mar- Marco Tardelli and, and many others have used the same phrase Um a leader a very generous leader, a generous player, a leader on and off the field uh, because, uh, you know, his the, the last chapter of his life, his battle against uh, pancreatic cancer, uh, left a very strong impression on people.
0: Mm. A serial winner is the one thing when you look at his career. I mean, yeah. no coincidence that it just, everywhere he went, I mean, the clubs that you he of off.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. No, he, 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 <laughs> he you know, he, he picked up titles, and cups, uh, he started off winning cups with Sam Doria, and he never stopped really.
0: Yeah,
2: his his, his biggest his biggest uh, disappointment, I think, was with Sam That uh, you know when they lost the nineteen ninety two then Champions Cup to Barcelona and Wembley, that was possibly his biggest um, disappointment. And when four years later Juventus got to the Champions Le- then Champions League final in Rome against Ajax. Uh, he, uh, this, and this is something I'd forgotten, but I was just looking at uh, a reminder of it today. He refused to take one of the penalty kicks. Marcello Lippi uh, was amazed. Like he, he wasn't a guy, uh, Vialli, who was um, uh, afraid of anything or, or timid in any shape or form. But what he said was, uh, look, I missed a penalty in the tournament. Uh, I missed a penalty. Uh, I, I, not sorry, I didn't miss a penalty. I missed a couple of great chances in our game against Barcelona, our final against Barcelona two years ago, or four years ago. Uh, and um, I don't want you to uh, remember by Italian fans uh, as the guy who uh, fluffed it in two successful Champions League finals. Uh, and so, so he, he wouldn't um, uh, take his, his kick in the penalty, uh, the penalty kick out. And not that it mattered, because he Juventus won anyway. Mm. Uh, but at, at that time, um, what he was thinking was that was you know June June of May of 1996 of and he knew that he was moving on to English football and he was moving on to Chelsea
0: yeah, some of the best leaders are more aware of their uh, shortcomings, isn't that the? That's what they say. That uh, sometimes that's the best leadership. What? Just in terms of was when he that move that you speak about, the Juventus to Chelsea move. Um, we've been speaking about him sort of all day as kind of leading that vanguard of European footballers to come into yes. English football at that time. Was was yeah. that um, like? I mean, I don't know against the wishes of Juve, but were you? Did Juve want to keep him at that stage?
2: No, I think, you know, Juve and, and the Marcello Leipzig in particular have a, a a policy with a lot of players whereby they let them go pretty quickly on a lot of the good players because they just think all the time that players need new stimulus. So I think, and they also felt, Viale, um uh was not uh, correct me was he thirty two and he went to uh, yeah he would
0: have been about that Chelsea yeah yeah, yeah
2: um and uh, you know the they would the events where felt well Sony's willing to give us good money uh for him we'll take it because mm. you know there are not that many seasons left at this level for him
0: yeah, and then we all know what he went to go on to achieve there uh we've we've discussed the chelsea thing in a bit a bit of detail earlier, but the one thing that I was slightly surprised about um was the the how uh, successful he was as a manager at Chelsea, brief spell at Watford and then never manages again. Was there any ever sense that, that uh, you know, obviously he had settled in London as you say, but was there any sense that he might go back to Italy and take a gig there?
2: Every time a major club had, uh, for, for there was a decade when uh, uh, every time a major club uh, sacked a coach and you were looking for uh, a quick replacement, the Alley's name would often come up would be in the list but it never happened, actually. Yeah. Um, I was always surprised by that. And but I would presume that um, uh, the Italian football world felt that he'd been too long out of Italian club football, uh, and that um, he was he'd become too anglicised, and uh, you know just wasn't in contact anymore, and he wouldn't be a good bet.
0: Yeah, we were talking to Martin Lipton earlier. Maybe the sense that he was kind of almost ahead of his time as a manager, in that he was very player uh, focused, like he was a real players manager almost in a way that maybe at that time the world wasn't quite ready for.
2: Yeah, I I, I would agree with that. I mean, he, he, uh, I remember reading a piece by him in Gazette de la Sport, where he used to write a column in the, oh, it was around 2005, 2006, and he was talking about uh, Rafa Benitez and Jose Mourinho, and he was talking about how, the English game had changed even, by, even since he'd left it, which wasn't that long before then. And he was saying one thing that's happening here is you've got a lot of managers who think a lot about their players, think a lot about the players, what the players' needs are and how much you need to get inside their heads and help them psychologically. And um, that, was obviously, that was obviously something that was, he tried to he had tried to practice as a coach himself.
0: Yeah, sad day for uh, Italian football, for European football. Paddy, thanks, million for jumping on the line.
2: Okay, thank you. Football
0: on off the ball with Sky, proud partner and supporter of the Republic of Ireland Women's National Football Team. This is News Talk.